0: Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 22 to 40. We are in a short series called The Gospel Walk, uh, patterns that are to be a part of every Christian's li- daily life. Right, and we, we started that introduction last week, that we repent, we believe in the gospel, and we rise up and we follow. And, and this is the the everyday repetition that every Christian is called into as we follow Jesus together. And so John's going to show us that um, preaching the gospel to yourself every day is not my idea, it was Jesus' command. <laughs> right, this is a beautiful passage, a familiar one, and I uh, hope we find it helpful together. But Let's, let's read it, it's John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 22 to 40 in the, blue, in the Pew Bibles, it's page 891 believe hear now God's word on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea that saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And This is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, the work you have commanded us to do is to believe in Jesus, to trust him. And yet even that simple work is something we need help with. And so I ask, Lord, you would send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus himself, to chase away our exhaustion and the misery that flows out of our unbelief. Um, Deepen in us uh, in an unshakable faith because, because of what we just read here this morning. So don't let us leave here the same, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start by, uh, with a couple of case studies here, a couple of real-life examples that this passage would, would apply to. And, and put, your, put your counselor hat on for a moment, you know, as their friend, what, what kind of things would you, what would be the one thing that you counsel them to do? All right. so a, these are made up names, of course, but a young lady named Lisa has grown up in the church and on the outside she appears to be a talented young Christian girl. And yet, her whole life, from little girlhood to uh, young adulthood, she has been marked by a deep craving. She just longs to be seen. She longs to be noticed, first by her mother, and then, of course, a boy. Right? She, wants, she, wants some, she wants a husband. And as she grew up, this desire showed up in her life as she decided, instead of eating, to choose exercise to lose a bit of weight, and in two months, it was a dramatic change. She was 40 pounds lighter, looking extremely unhealthy, and even when the doctor said, if you do not start eating instead of exercising, you will die, because your body will shut down. Of course, her excuses are, I'm fine, I'm in control, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, leave me alone. Uh, Unable to break this cycle, uh, of that is physically destroying her simply because she wants someone to love her. And even when she finally breaks free of the eating disorder, she cannot stop living for that desperate desire to have someone say, "I love you." What work would you say that she must do to be made well? Jesus' word would be, "Believe the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's an announcement into the world about what God has done fully and finally in Jesus through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension as king. It's primarily about what God has already done for her and us. Not about what we must do to get that blessing. Right, But, but there's a work. Believe the good news. Here's another one. A young guy named Tom who comes from a highly successful family. He's graduated from honors from an Ivy League university, and he's trying to figure out where God is leading him. Desires to have a successful career and make lots of money, but every morning Tom wakes up anxious, sweating, terrified of failing, terrified of disappointing his parents. And so when his day starts with anxious sweats, he's unable to eat breakfast until he actually goes to work and starts his day. And he knows that God loves him because, and tells him, don't be anxious about anything. But he can't eat. What work would you say that Tom must do? And in Jesus' words, it would be, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. Right. This is the second stage of the gospel walk, that we would repent and believe and follow Jesus each and every day until we see Him face to face. Uh, that we would believe the good news about Jesus. And Lisa and Tom are both stuck, and we all have those stories around us, or that is our story, right? We get stuck, and yet Jesus would prescribe the same pill, the cure all, the gospel, <laughs> to believe the gospel. That is God's cure all that that ails everything you and I go through as human beings. Right? Obviously that's a long list so I can't go through them. But you know, chronic sadness, depression, right? believe the gospel. If you're always feeling like a failure, like you never measure up, believe in God's good news, the one in whom he has sent. If you're a judgmental jerk, right? You don't play well with others. You need to change. There's something wrong. Believe the gospel. If you're always angry, taking it out on others, believe the gospel. If grief is clinging to you, and sucking you dry. Believe the gospel. If you're aging, your body is failing, and death's dew lies cold on your brow as the hymn goes, It'd right? be the same prescription. Believe in God's good news. Trust Jesus. <laughs> I know as I say all these complicated real-life experiences, to say belief, that's it. It sounds simple, it sounds trite, and yet that's what Jesus says here in John 5 or 6, 29. So look at it. Because the question that comes to Jesus is, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And this is, this is a life-changing statement. And he says, Believe in him whom he, the Father, has sent. Believe in Jesus, whom God sent for you. And that word, uh, to believe, is in a particular tense in Greek. I'm going to nerd out for a second. It's in the present active subjunctive tense, and I know I just put some of you into a coma, right, because of the grammar. I'm sorry, but stay awake. This is important. right? These people are asking, what must we do? What many works must we do to make God happy? What, what must we do to, to get God on our side? And Jesus says there's one thing, one work. There's a change in, right? Plurality. It's not works. It's a work. Believe. And the, the present active subjunctive is telling you to keep doing it. <laughs> Don't stop. It's to continually believe right now whom God has sent for you with a desperate urgency. That's the subjunctive part. Right. It's, it's telling you you have to do this or you will not make it. Keep believing in Jesus with the kind of urgency you would have if you were starving to death in the desert. You need to eat this food, which is faith in Jesus. Keep believing. This is God's work that he requires of you. Right. I know maybe you're saying that just sounds too easy, too trite. I mean, that's what Christopher Hitchens would say. Well, in the pace of all this, you just turn your brain off. You know, that, that's, that, doesn't sound, that doesn't sound rational, he would argue. <laughs> But Jesus clearly sees belief as a work of your mind because he's arguing in his text. He's debating. He's he's trying to convince people to believe, convince you and I. And he also sees it as something we need help with. This is not simple and easy by any means. It's a battle. That's what we're going to talk about. Or maybe you as a Christian are saying, I believed the gospel at one point when I was little, so why do I need it right now? Right? Because... To some extent, it feels like if I have my life together, I won't need the gospel anymore, <laughs> right? Because I'm good enough. So why do I need Jesus' death and resurrection again? Right? Because once you become a follower of Jesus, then you get to the serious work of being good, <laughs> which is not true, just to be clear. Now, Jesus said, here's the gospel. Believe that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it so that whoever believes right now is not condemned. And you need to believe that right now, <laughs> that you're not condemned. All right. See, I don't want you to miss out on what John Stott famously said, that all progress, he's summarizing Jesus here, all progress in the Christian life depends on a recapitulation of the original terms that God accepted you with, which is... a a nerdy way of saying all progress in your life following Jesus depends on how you keep telling yourself how you came to faith in the first place the gospel. Right. All progress, your maturity, your, your hope, your ability to stand tall in suffering, your ability to say no in temptation is all going to flow out of preaching the gospel to yourself, believing in Jesus, whom God sent. Keep believing it urgently. Because if you don't, you're gonna get stuck. And you may never you may get lost in the wilderness, so to speak. Believing the gospel is a, a work, and then we're gonna see it's a battle. And and so we need help with this. So let let's look at it. Why do you need the gospel every day, according to Jesus and the Gospel of John here? With a desperate urgency. Because right? there is a battleground, and if you look at the text in verse 29, there's, I like, like to phrase it in, from right now in verse 29, believe urgently, to the resurrection, the, the last day. In verse 40, Well, that's God's will that nobody that comes to faith in Jesus would be lost. It's God's will. It's his pleasure to hold on to you as you were clinging to him in faith. That everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him, you'll raise them up on the last day. So think of these bookends phrasing what you must do between now and then, which is to believe the gospel. right? Because you hear it right now, God's goal, God's pleasure, His will, is that you would see Jesus face to face, that you would live with Him eternally on the new heavens and new earth, and a new creation where everything you're facing right now, the hardship, the sin, the sorrow, is not welcome. But it's a battle in between, between now and then. And the battleground for belief is in a strange place. I mean, this is ordinary spiritual warfare. So maybe you've heard really extravagant things about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is just to wake up in the morning and believe what we just read is true. Believe the gospel. And where does the battleground take place? Jesus uses the metaphor of our gut, our appetites, what we long for. Right? Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man, who is Jesus, will give to you. So it really helps to understand. This is a battle, and there's a context here. And so look at the context. We're picking up in middle, the middle of a story. and It's a familiar story. If you've read the Bible, maybe it's new to you, but what happened is in the beginning of John 6, Jesus went out into the wilderness with his disciples and loads of people who want Jesus to do something for them, to make them well. Um, they follow him out into the wilderness, and they're up on a mountain. And they are far from the Hebrew Hannaford. Right? There's no food. And famously, Jesus has 5,000 people sit on the green grass. It makes that specific note. And 5,000 people plus women and children are fed with two with bread and fish. I mean Jesus's generosity, God's generosity through Jesus. Just literally overflowed. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. Jesus literally spread a table for people in the in the wilderness, a feast with Jesus on the host as the host on a mountain. There's all kinds of Old Testament cool stuff there. But after the meal, now that they've had a you know, their bellies are full, they said, "We want a Jesus with that kind of power to be our king." And they try and force him to be their king, and Jesus escapes. Because who wouldn't want a king who functions like a vending machine to make your life happy, healthy, and wise? Right. And Jesus runs away from that. <laughs> and that evening he gets into a boat, he crosses the sea. And in the, this is where we picked up in the story. The crowds wake up and say, where's this guy we love who fed us? And so they, they look all over, they do the hard work of rowing, and they find Jesus in Capernaum. And that's when Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, right? normal food. Work for the food that lasts. And so in the context, here's what's happening. There's, there's a lot of layers here, but Jesus is trying to show us and show them that our biggest need is not a full belly. It's not getting what you want most right now. Our biggest need is someone to rescue us from our destructive desires. Working for things that will not satisfy. Right. This is what happens when you, when you wake up in the morning, is it not? You wake up and you say, I want. Maybe it's breakfast. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's peace and quiet. Uh, but it's also connected to what you've been living for for the last 10 years. You know, I want, I want a happy retirement. I want family to be successful. But either way, we wake up screaming in our gut, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want. Somebody feed me. It's a relentless appetite. And if we don't get what we want, we get grumpy. We get angry. We're hangry. And then we grumble. And then we complain. And then we accuse God. That's what happens later in the text. You know, it could be I need food. It could be I need health. It could be I need love. It could be I need attention, All praise. Maybe I just need to be in control and I'm floundering. All good things in many ways. But Jesus is saying, don't work for those things that will not last, that that will disappoint you the next day. And so one of the layers underneath this story, this context, is the old story of how God worked with Israel in the desert. Israel wandering in the desert who were unable to believe the good news that that was preached to them because in the desert, God, remember, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he dragged them through the desert for people could see what they were actually like, and the picture wasn't pretty. Do you love God for God, or do you only want him for his gifts? Are you willing to be fathered? Will you let him feed you day in, day out, and trust that that will never change, because his love will never change? And in every, nearly every instance, they didn't believe. They didn't believe. Right? And so the story is God provided every day a honey-sweet manna from heaven for them to eat that was baked into bread. It was like they could experience Eden in the wilderness. Right? Bread from heaven, eating a meal with God in the desert. God was with them. The problem was they didn't, they didn't believe him. And one of the famous parts is the very first time God says, I'm going to feed you, the very first in the morning, uh, when he provides the manna, some people didn't believe it was going to happen again the next day. And so they go out and they just, write hoarding's an ancient problem. They stuffed their tents full and they, they went to bed that night. And in the morning, it was rotten. <laughs> it perished. It was covered in worms. It was disgusting. And so Jesus is tapping into that. Right, but the whole idea is the meal you should feast on in the desert is God's love, his his parenting. And all they wanted was God to make them comfortable. Right. You know, Israel didn't have smartphones at that meal in the desert, but if they did, they wouldn't look up at him and they'd be texting him saying, "This meal stinks." <laughs> it's not rational to have that miracle of provision every day. And so Jesus in verse 27 is going after you and I. He's going after the, the people there saying, what do you really want? Do you want what God gives you because this is what you need most? Jesus, believe in him whom God has sent. Or do you want something else that's just going to leave you disappointed? It's going to rot in your tent. It's going to fade away to nothing. Right. This is a battle, is it not? To, to want Jesus, to want God, to want the giver more than the gift. And then to go up in the morning and work for it. <laughs> to believe the gospel. All right, now it's an interesting conversation because you go back in the text, in verse 30, these people are saying, All right, Jesus, you want me to believe in you. Why should we trust you? All right, why should we believe anything you say? What sign do you do that we may see you, that we may see the sign and believe? What work will you perform? Because our fathers ate manna in the desert, in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Right. And ironically, there's, there's a lot of layers here. They quote Psalm 78, which is a testimony of how Israel did not believe. So they're condemning themselves. Right. So why don't you turn with me to Psalm 78. I'm trying to paint a picture. You see, this is a battle. This is why you need to believe the gospel every day. And fight to believe. This is the work that Jesus is sending you to do. Turn to Psalm 78. <clears throat> I'm going to start in verse 18 here. All right. Tell me if you see a picture who find belief easy or difficult. As they are loved by their God. And verse 18 says they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. And they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the, in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? You can hear their doubt? Verse 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel. And here's why. Verse Verse 22. Because they did not believe in God and did not trust. There's those words. His saving power. It keeps going. He commanded the skies above, and it rained on them manna to eat. He gave them the bread of heaven. Men ate of the bread of angels, and he sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. They ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving while the food was in their mouth, God still got angry with them. In spite of all this, they sinned. Despite God's wonders, they did not believe. In verse 32. All right. And yet God, in verse 38, <laughs> He being compassionate, He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. And there's a lot there. But you get the picture, right? Is this belief easy or difficult? In spite of God's everyday... Goodness, provision, abundance. You have food. You're, you're, you may be suffering, but he just made it rain everything they needed. And yet they did not believe. And the point of John 6 is that just as God sent Jesus to be bread from heaven for us to trust and obey, to believe, to love, to follow, Right? Just as he had done that, that's the command. He did the same for God's people of old, and they did not trust. They did not believe. So therefore, don't make their mistakes. (laughs) Believe and keep believing in the one whom God has sent. And that's the point. Jesus is bread from heaven for you to eat every day. And it sounds strange, but it's, it's a metaphor. It's the one thing who will satisfy you. It's the one person who will satisfy your craving to be loved in a way that will actually fill your heart that's always craving someone to get get your attention. It's the one person who will satisfy your desire to be fathered, to have someone say, I'm proud of you, (laughs) despite what you have done because of Jesus. So believe in Jesus. It's the one place you're going to find someone say, I accept you in the immediate aftermath of some kind of relational breakdown that you may or may not have caused. Right. As you read, read, read John 6, it kept talking about the Father's will. The Father's will is his pleasure. Right. To eat of the bread of life is God's will for your life, but it's also telling you that God's will, his pleasure for you, is, is to want to be with you, which is why he would send someone from heaven to earth to feed you. To have God say, you have my complete attention. You are my pleasure, my delight. There is no other place you will go that will fill that infinite black hole of make it about me (laughs) and will satisfy that apart from Jesus. And that's the point of the gospel. He gives you himself. Will you believe in him whom God has sent? And our initial response is much like the children of Israel and our children as we look at the meal on the table, God giving us himself and go, Ew, I don't want to eat that <laughs> because I want something else. So this is a battle. All right. I mean, that's what Psalm 78 described, right? God's love and provision with Eden-like language, feasting, abundance, overflowing, rivers in the desert, raining bread and meat. They had, they had abundance in the desert. And they said, God, you hate me, I want something else. And so my question for, for you as we talk about belief being a battle is do you see a reflection in any of these pictures? <laughs> Working for the food that perishes rather than coming to feast at the table whom God has offered, Jesus himself. Because that's what he goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven, For the bread of God is he, a person, who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us his bread always. And Jesus responds, I am. Ego eimi, I am the Yahweh, I am the Lord, the bread of life in a person. And whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever (laughs) believes in me shall never thirst. It'll be like you're in Eden again. While you're in the wilderness of, of suffering and temptation. And Jesus said, But I tell you, you have seen me, but you do not believe. I mean, that's astounding. If belief was, rash, was rational only, <laughs> belief is rational, Jesus uses arguments, then you would believe what you see. This is empirical evidence right in front of their eyes. They saw miracles but they could not see that the miracle pointed to their father in heaven who loved them do you <laughs> and this is hard because the battleground for trusting Jesus happens at the level of our gut our desires our appetites it's asking you what do you what are you craving for what are you working for right now that you want more than anything else it's the makings of every good story. I mean, Harry Potter. Some of you guys know Harry Potter. Right? There's a scene where they discover this mirror, the mirror of Erised, which is desire spelled backwards. And anyone who looks into the mirror sees exactly what their heart craves. <laughs> Harry, the orphan, sees his parents. And when... When he gets caught there coming back again and again, staring at that one thing he wants more than anything else, he's told men and women have spent their whole lives dying in front of that mirror, just staring at what they want. It destroyed them. So what would you see in the mirror? What what do you crave? Are you like Lisa, just longing to be loved and noticed, like Tom, wanting to be... Someone to be proud of you or wanting to be successful, what is it? They are good things, but that food will perish. And we become like what we love. If we love Jesus, we will live for eternal life. If we love the food that perishes, we too will perish. So Jesus is saying, don't make me the bread of life, just an hors d'oeuvre that you, you nibble at while you pursue a better meal elsewhere. He's saying, I'm the feast that my Father has provided for you. Come and eat. And yet we're weird creatures. (laughs) right? Human beings are weird creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything on earth. And yet that never stops us from trying. And so to to that, Jesus says, this is the work God requires of you. Believe on him whom he has sent. And I'll be honest, sometimes I don't even know what I want. St. Augustine, the old African pastor, said it's easier to count the number of hairs on my head than to understand my moods or the the deep abyss that is in my heart. I don't know what I want. All I know is I have a deep craving to be loved, to be fathered, to be fed. And to that, God says, I give you the gospel. (laughs) And so... We come, this is the battleground, to, to preach the gospel to yourself daily, to, to, to live out John 6, to come and feast on the bread of life who was broken for us. Right? Jesus' broken body is shouting to you that God is a good father who wants your good to the point where he's ready to, to be broken so that you would live. His shed blood that he calls you to drink by faith. It's crying out for your forgiveness. So you've got to wake up in the morning and say, God, you forgive that too. I can't believe you forgave that too. When you do those things, when you look and say, he was broken for me, so that means he's not mad at me in the wilderness. Or I blew it again, and you come back and ask for forgiveness, you're actually feasting by faith on Jesus. You're believing the gospel. You're preaching it to yourself. But in light of this wilderness battleground, the the battleground in your gut, you see why Jesus would say this is urgent. Don't just do this once. This is a day-by-day, step-by-step, trudging through the the difficult wilderness on your way to the promised land, believing the gospel. And So how do you do that? How do you preach the gospel to yourself? That's how we're going to end here at the end of this passage. There's too much to get all of it. But uh, I wanted you to really see that Jesus commands you to keep doing this urgently, to believe in he whom, whom God has sent. Right? And so if you get that, if you're gripped by the urgency and say, okay, Monday morning I want to wake up and preach the gospel myself, what do I do? Well, you can use this passage. Because right? if you come to verse... Follow verse 35 and following. It says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and do not believe. And here's the gospel. You can start preaching to yourself right now. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. (laughs) saying, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. See, it's telling you, Jesus is telling you, to trust your Father as you look at Jesus. Right? So one, trust that you are your Father's gift to Jesus. I mean, does that, Is there any other way to honor you anymore? Whoever the Father gives to Jesus, Jesus will hold on tightly and never let go. He will never cast them out. You will never have that experience of running to Jesus for for comfort and have him say, no, you're not welcome here. All that the Father gives to Jesus, he will welcome with open arms. Therefore, believe. Come. I mean that, That language of being cast out, we talked about it last week. It's like Adam and Eve being kicked out of God's house for disrespecting and, and disobeying. Jesus says that is being undone in, in me by my Father. It's his will. Come to me. All right. Second, you can trust your Father's will. Right. Jesus said, I came down not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And what's Jesus's, what is the Father's will that Jesus came down to do? And that Jesus' de- desire... It's to, to desire what his father desires. It's to... The, Jesus is craving his food to, is to do whatever his father wants. Right, this is verse 38. Even when it means as a human being saying no to himself. Right. And part of what Jesus is saying, when I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, is not only is he on a rescue mission to come and save people who can't save themselves. He's also on an obedience mission to live the life of faith in the desert that Israel, uh, that Adam, that you or I could never do on our own. So, So you trust your father's will that they sent Jesus to obey and do everything that you couldn't do. And he obeyed perfectly. So you're trusting your father's will by trusting in Jesus. And again, what's, what's the Father's will in verse 40? Uh, it says that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and be raised up. Verse 39, all is well. It says, uh, this is God's will of who sent me. I don't want to lose, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. This is God's pleasure. You're trusting His provision. You're trusting His will. And His will is that you would survive all of this stuff you're going through, through faith, in Jesus. Right. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes will have eternal life. And so there's a dance here, right? If, if you come to Jesus, you're safe, you're secure, but yet at the same time, real life happens and He commands you, you have a work you must do, which is to believe the Gospel. This will not make you a passive follower, it will make you feel loved when you realize how welcome you are. Right. So what does it look like to look on the Son and believe it's going to be, while well, he goes on, to feed by faith on the broken body of Jesus, drinking by faith the blood of Jesus, so that you may be with Jesus on the last day. Be raised up. The Father's will is for you to be with him. Jesus' will is for you to be with Jesus, with the Father, that you would have this gift relationship to experience the same love Jesus has always known the love of the beloved Son. Right. That's what Jesus would say in John 17 as he prayed. My desire, what I want, what I crave, is that they who will believe in my name would be loved even as I have been loved from before the foundation of the world. <laughs> and the way for that to happen, for that personal presence, is to believe and look on the Son And whenever you look on the Son in the Gospel of John, he's lifted up. That's his moment of glory. That's his moment of fame when he's lifted up on the cross, going through the hell we deserve for our unbelief when Jesus was treated as an unwanted child on the cross. See, God's will for your life is a work that you would believe in Jesus. And when you do that, you will become fully human. again because you'll you'll stop working to impress everyone and you'll trust and you'll rest and it'll feel like you're in paradise even when all this hard stuff happens and jesus says if you come and drink you will never thirst if you come and eat you'll never be hungry and i will raise you up on the last day (laughs) that's good news that's just one place in the new testament that tells you to believe the gospel and it's, it's actually going to war with your idolatries, your, your false loves. So to conclude this, what is the one thing you need to believe the gospel? The gospel walk is repenting, believing in God's gospel. It's his good news. And then follow, which we'll talk about next week. But you can find this everywhere if you're trying to figure out how to do this. If you read the New Testament, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 will tell you, let me remind you again of the gospel I first... Preach to you that Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And gospel is used as a verb. Let me remind you of the gospel I gospel to you. Let me remind you of the good news that I'm telling you about. That I, to- I told you about good news before. Let me tell you again. Uh, Colossians, which we'll look at next year. As you first received Jesus, so walk in Him. Well, how did you receive Jesus? Believing in the gospel. See, that's what Lisa eventually discovered, as we talked about in the morning, as she was feasting on, God's, on, on other people's love of her that continually rotted every night. <laughs> and she woke up the next morning craving again. As she tasted of the bread of life, she found herself satisfied. Um, now she's fighting a completely different battle. It's a battle to trust Jesus instead of a battle to be found. And that is a much better battle. Because he's holding on to you. Because all who come to Jesus, he will not cast out. All right, so this is God's desire. That you would look on Jesus, whom he sent, and experience that grace as he walks alongside you and through the wilderness. So keep believing with that everyday urgency. And the grace that has kept you safe thus far will, is the same grace that will carry you home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the bread of life, for Jesus, uh, that his will, his desire, his passion was to be broken and to bleed for us so that we would want to come every day to, t- to eat at the table of grace and mercy. So help us now by faith to feed on Jesus, to, to know we are loved, to know we are accepted, to know that we stand in Christ, seated in the heavenly places, and our life is hidden with him, and you will never let us go, as we said in Romans this morning. So may that sustain us until we meet, meet again, day by day, following Jesus, believing in the gospel. And for that, we need your help. So send your Spirit to, help to work that truth in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.